Hi, I'm Brian Alberg, executive chef at Eat on North in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good morning. You're listening to In the Drink on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm your host, Joe Campanelli. Uh, for those of you tuning in live, I'm sorry that we are running a few minutes late. It is my own fault. Um, and for those of you who are listening to this recorded, uh, thank you. You guys can always listen to this show on iTunes or uh, through the Heritage Radio Network website at uh, heritageradionetwork.org slash in the drink. Um, we air live every Wednesday at 10 or 10.05 a.m. <laughs> as we are today. Um, I am really excited today. We have a true bar professional in the studio, someone who is constantly up to exciting things, whether it is traveling around the country, visiting some of the greatest bars, or opening my favorite bar in the city, uh, The Dead Rabbit, and now she is the creative director at The Seamstress. Um, her name is Pamela Wisnitzer, and she is uh, in the studio today. Welcome. Hi, how are you? <laughs> uh, I, I'm, I'm going to spare you some embarrassment, but you've like... You've kind of like won every cool award that at least I know of. I mean, you've been nominated for Bartender of the Year at, at Tales of the Cocktail, and you uh, you won the Louis <laughs> Royer Show Me the Poof. That was the actually the only bartending competition I have ever uh, participated in. So the fact that you have participated in one so many uh, other ones uh, is so so impressive to me. It was like the most scary, humbling experience i'm never going to do it again how do you how do you do that i totally remember when you were there which is really funny it's it's fun i think as a bartender competing in competitions allows you to grow gives you the stage presence um it also lets you see where you mess up the year before and how to come back as a shark and totally just attack it and get it the next year yeah, I, I don't know. I was. It has been the most, uh, the scariest thing I've ever done. Like presenting to um, the icons of our industry, and uh, you are you are quickly becoming one of those people. Uh, <laughs> I'm just trying to keep up with you, you know. <laughs> but how do you? So as you know, as a, like a modern day like bartender, you're like competing in competitions. You're presenting, um, you know, at at panels, and you're presenting. Um, at shows, you're 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 studying. You're doing a ton of history. Oh, and then you also you have to work. And I, how do you do all of these different things and balance it all? It's uh, to have a balanced bartender lifestyle isn't easy. Um, I attribute a lot of uh, my drive. Well, I you know get a good five to six hours of sleep a night. You really don't need more than that. Make sure you're eating a healthy diet, working out. But also, um, I don't drink so often. And I think that's a really big misconception about um, a lot of people in the industry is that like we go out and we party all the time. We definitely do um, release some stress sometimes. But me personally, I really I don't drink very often. Um, I keep a very healthy professional mindset, and um, you know I always think that there are there are a certain finite amount of time and hours in a day, and I try to schedule out my time and then you know hit everything that I, I can. 
All right. I mean, that makes sense. So you, do you like have a drink every day or do you just like, when you say you don't drink that often, you don't really go all out and, and drink to like yeah. big party time. Often. <laughs> uh, party time. Um, <laughs> if, if I, you know, if I'm out with, out with friends at brunch or nice dinner, of course I'm going to have something to drink. But my, um, my personal philosophy in life is that if I'm working, I do not drink. Mm-hmm. So any day that I'm working any time leading up before or afterwards, there's no alcohol in my body while I'm working during my shift. I don't drink at all. Um, and I think that helps to give me a bit of clarity and that's not for everybody, but it's a personal, um, just a personal philosophy that I have. Yeah, yeah. In my, as uh, at this point, I, I really just need a glass of wine at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, the wine, <laughs> where the wine where you're working is pretty extraordinary. So I would probably would grab one too. But, <laughs> uh, but it's you know uh, it helps me focus. But you know when I do want to unwind, I unwind. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about what being uh, tell us about the seamstress and uh, what creative director means. What are you What are you doing there? Yeah. Uh, it. So Seamstress is located at 75th and 1st Avenue. Um, I've been a resident of the Upper East Side almost close to nine years now. Um, and it's been it's been a long time coming for um, sort of resurgence of the Upper East Side in terms of hospitality, restaurants, and bars. Um, I, um, you know, I paired up with uh, two guys, Steve Laycock and Josh Mazza, who have Ducks Eatery downtown in the East Village, which is pretty well known. And also um, the Gilroy, they opened uh, a few years ago on the Upper East Side. And... We were just talking about how in our neighborhood there isn't much when it comes to craft cocktails and it comes to a really nice downtown experience uptown. And with so many um, young people moving back uptown and the area really thriving despite the Second Avenue subway construction, we wanted to offer everybody um, a place where they can get a phenomenal cocktail and not have to trek, you know, like 80 blocks downtown in order to get it. Um, it's our neighborhood, so we really focus on making sure it's a place for the neighborhood, but also mm-hmm. a place that if you come from out of town or from around New York City, you really feel like your time was well spent yeah. coming to that area. It seems like there is a somewhat of a resurgence of, I don't know if there, if it ever, if there ever was actually, so maybe resurgence isn't the right word, but there there's a, an interest in new uh, bars and restaurants on the mm-hmm. Upper East Side. Uh, where where there hasn't been in the recent past. Yeah, you know, it, the Upper East Side was pretty cool back in like, especially the '80s, some of the '90s. It, it was it was a happening place. There mm-hmm. were iconic restaurants. Um, everybody was going out uptown. Um, you know, New York has such a, uh, an amazing history about like uptown versus downtown. Um, you can look at like the Harlem Renaissance also as a prime example, and seeing now what's happening back in Harlem these days. So uh, people are coming back uptown, uh, and people want to stay in their neighborhood. I think it's a big thing when you decide where you live nowadays in New York City. Um, you can see it out in Brooklyn a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you can see in the financial district, when I worked at the Dead Rabbit, how many people love that neighborhood and how many bars and restaurants have now opened since in the past three years. Yeah, I love how that bar kind of roots back down to the like 200-year-old history of, of that neighborhood, which is uh, amazing. It gives it... like some soul that sometimes it feels like is missing from from yeah. down there just aren't as many gang fights you know irish gang fights <laughs> happening back in the day that that's probably a good thing uh what is what have you found uh is uh, are the people on the upper east side drinking is there is there a big difference between you know the, your experience there and, and other bars from uh further downtown i think universally speaking and this goes this goes. Uh, this spans past New York City, just in America in general. The trends are pretty apparent. Um, whiskey is having its its great moment. Everyone's really into bourbon. Everyone's getting really into rye, which is really exciting. Um, small batch um, products. They want to see what's new on the market. What's made 
sometimes more local, um, and vodka still king. And that's really cool. I think vodka is great because people are interested in trying vodka in different iterations, not just a vodka soda anymore. So when vodka is on the menu, there you know you could have it with strangest ingredients like aquavit or something else, and people are willing to try it just because mm-hmm. vodka's in it. So if anything, that's extremely exciting for bartenders, um, and people are really into um, strange liquors and liqueurs that you don't see so often so you know when you see like a shasa on a menu or pisco they sometimes will ask questions and then they'll order the drink um and um i'm seeing a bit of more rum on the upper east side which is exciting because that really isn't um, a spirit that you've seen so often in that area god i love rum i, I absolutely <laughs> love it i feel like uh, a lot of times it just it, it just creates this like vacation-y feeling drinking a good rum I mean, what's, cocktail what's better than like a frozen strawberry daiquiri on a beach like yes. the sand in the toes. <laughs> yes, so it's starting to feel far away from that. But I want to go back to what you said about vodka because it's it's surprising to hear uh, a a bartender of your experience uh, and know how being excited about people drinking vodka. Yeah, well, I'm I'm a vodka lover. I I don't discriminate against spirits. I really except kumol. I hate kumol. I don't even know what kumal is. Oh, it's like this fennel liqueur, and it just smells like sweaty feet. And some people love it, and I hate it. But mm. beyond beyond that, um, I love vodka. And I feel like it, um, you actually have to be an extraordinary bartender to be able to identify the differences and the nuances between vodkas, because they're all made from different, um, different crops. Uh, the distillation methods are completely different. Um, and then when you want to make a cocktail, especially like the difference between like a martini or, you know, uh, highball or something shaken with vodka like you can't just use the same vodka for all of them you're not going to get the same out you know output in the end oh this is okay so this is fascinating to me so tell me more like how would you decide on which vodka is most appropriate because you know technically right vodka they've been saying is like a colorless and flavorless spirit and you're saying that actually it's much more nuanced than that and you should you should pay more attention yeah i mean like if you're going to if you're going to have some vodka you should especially if you're going to eat like a full meal and you want to like sip a vodka next to it, like no two vodkas are really going to be the same. So, um, for instance, like if you're, I can buy that, but like once you're using it in a cocktail, don't they all kind of taste pretty similar? Mm, And your martini, if you're really paying attention, no, especially like some people love just stirring up the vodka with no vermouth or anything and drinking it. That's cool. But like a Belvedere is going to taste completely different than uh, an absolute, than a purity, than, you know, a stoli, like they're all, they're all made differently. And for that reason, like if, you know, I'm having a certain type of meal and I want a specific type of like vodka martini, I'm going to really think about like, what am I eating mm-hmm. and what's going to pair with it? Then again, I have a very different palate than some other people. Um, but I also think when it comes to shaken drinks, um, I think the vodka really, uh, can, it can be detrimental to a drink in some ways because it's meant to sort of lengthen flavor and, and used, um, to add the alcoholic essence, but sometimes it could be overpowering because you use too much of it or that you're using the, the wrong brand. So it, like, it doesn't go with that raspberry syrup because it's distilled harshly. So it makes the whole thing taste terrible. So the quality definitely needs to be there and you have to use in the right proportion size. And you know, that's why I do actually take a lot of care and consideration as to what vodka I'm actually putting into what cocktail. Wow, that is uh, a lot more thoughtful than I ever imagined anyone getting over vodka. That's that's really amazing and impressive. <laughs> Maybe you, I'm just a big loser, but I think it's a great category that's overlooked so often. 
I'm going to take your word for it. (laughs) (laughs) No, we did have the guys from Industry uh, City Distillery Mm -hmm. on the show, and that is a vodka that I can actually be excited about, and and I like, and I like those guys and what they're doing. Yeah, they're using really cool techniques to uh, make vodka. Yeah, that's cool. And you also mentioned that you're seeing a lot of uh, cool liqueurs and kind of spirits that are are not as common around. What, in your experience, what what have you found that you're actually excited about? You know, not Kumal. 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 Sorry, my friends who make Kumal, but I don't like it. <laughs> um, yeah, there, oh, there are so many cool products that are on the market. Um, obviously, like I love everyone's getting very local. Um, and uh, and just even within category where there are like kings in the category, people are making their own. So like for instance, even locally here, um, you know, a ginger liqueur that I personally use is called Barrows Intense, made mm-hmm. by a guy named Josh Morton. Um, and it's got this great like viscosity. Like I feel like a lot of ginger liqueurs sometimes are a little bit... Um, you know, like weightless, and they don't really have a lot of texture to it. And I love texture in drinks. I don't know about you when you have a cocktail, but if there's like no texture and like format there, then like what's the point? Um, so that's really great. Um, and then there's a guy named Jackie who, uh, Summers who makes this great uh, liqueur called Sorel from Sorrel. Oh yeah, that stuff's delicious. Yeah, it's incredible. The color, the taste, um, and he just—I mean—he might be the nicest guy in the industry. Um, and you know, he had a lot of damage when hurricane Sandy came through. Mm-hmm. So all of us, we were very adamant to make sure that he came back on his feet and he has. So nice. Yeah. If, so if you get a bottle of, of, uh, Sorrel, you should, because it's stuff is delicious. <laughs> all right. So let's keep giving it a little, a little more public. Like, what would you do with it? How would you make a textured, uh, delicious cocktail using Sorrel? Um, we had a great drink on our menu, um, last February. So sort of like the winter time then, and it was sort of like a, um, it could go hot or cold, which was a cool drink. So you could order either way. Um, and we used uh, cognac as a base. We actually used Louis Rie, which is funny you brought that up before, as the base um, with some honey and sorrel, apple. So now we're getting texture on texture because we're getting, you know, like cider in there, which has like, you know, foolproof than apple, apple juice um, and honey. And honey brings a lot to the table in terms of sweeteners because it's 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 not thin. It's got a lot of thickness to it. So, you know, we shook that all up and it really tasted like this Mm -hmm. incredible apple pie (laughs) in a glass. So people loved it. That sounds great. You know, and I like the idea of using not simple syrup or, you know, to, for, for your sweetness in the Mm -hmm. cocktail. I've always found, and I've no, again, I'm like not nearly as uh, smart with this stuff as you are, but if you use something for your sweet component that has some flavor to it, Mm -hmm. then you're you're going to end up with a more complex drink and simple syrup is called simple syrup because it's so, it's so simple. It it just makes it sweet. And we should call it basic. Just basic. (laughs) That drink is too tart. Let's add some basic to it. Basic syrup to it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, sugar's a big player in the game right now in cocktails. Uh, People are really looking at other sugar outlets. So I know Demerara is really huge, Mm -hmm. you know, unrefined sugars, um, palm sugar, uh, coconut palm sugar is like one of my favorite things to use. It's got like a lot of earthiness to it. Wow. Yeah. That sounds good. Probably with uh, rum and some uh, Sorrel. Uh, and Sorrel and some lime juice. <laughs> oh, okay, let's go. <laughs> let's make one of those right now. All right. On that note, we're going to take a, uh, a very quick break and we'll be back with more with Pamela Wisnitzer on In the Drink. And today's break music provided by the one and only Rectech. This is In the Drink. We'll be right back.
Hi, I'm Brian Alberg, and I'm the executive chef at Eat on North in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts. Eat on North in the Berkshires of Western Massachusetts is a casual restaurant where good, honest, uncomplicated food is served to our guests. Our restaurant is part of the hotel called Hotel on North, the newly opened boutique hotel in downtown Pittsfield. We source local ingredients from our neighboring farms and offer an all-day dining menu of flavorful American cuisine for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and on weekends we serve brunch. Our oyster bar serves up delicious shellfish and oyster samplers until 11 p.m. Check out our menu at eatonnorth.com and follow us on Instagram. would sound like without donations. It's not as good as the show you were just listening to, is it? Give us a few bucks. Help keep us running. HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Click the Donate tab on the top right corner. That is so sad, Jack. (laughs) Both of us just got really sad. Aw. Please donate to Heritage. Um, uh, we're back on In the Drink with Pamela Wisnitzer, the creative director of The Seamstress. Best new bar on the Upper East Side. Yeah. Yeah, you guys are killing it up there. Also, you're one of the few people who can say my last name correctly. That's amazing. Really? It, it sounds like an old-timey record player. Wisnitzer. Yeah. I always kind of want to be like radio Put the flyer. LP on the old Wisnitzer. <laughs> Drop a beat. Yeah. Those are some... Those are some uh, swell tunes. Uh, all right, <laughs> you, I have to say this is like one of the most fun shows. You are you're just awesome. Thanks. I'm a morning person. How are you a morning person in your in, in your line of work? I closed the bar last night too, so this is Jeez. pretty extraordinary. All right, I meant to I meant to um, embarrass you. So if you guys are still listening, uh, I wanted to read off some of Pamela's other great uh, accolades she was named one of food and wine magazine's top 10 rising star mixologists and is one of four inductees to the dames hall of fame i want to ask you more about that yeah. and named as one of wine enthusiasts 40 under 40 tastemakers in 2015 you're also the president of new york chapter of the united states bartenders guild yeah how do you really? I just, I just, it's amazing. You do so much, and you're you're almost done with the NYU food studies program. Uh, We're getting there. Uh, I I went through that as well. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how you do. it. You're a very impressive uh, person. What is the Dames Hall of Fame? Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, Tales of the Cocktail is the largest um, cocktail convention that happens uh, during the year, and uh, it's been around for 13 years. It's a, in New Orleans in July. So if you haven't checked it out, you should definitely Google www.talesofthecocktail.com. Um, they have a, um, they have this amazing uh, group now called Dame Hall of Fame that started, I think, four or five years ago. And it was a way to recognize women who, with, a, you know, who, with extraordinary talents, I guess, or just really have added a lot to the community. So they started inducting women into the Dame Hall of Fame. Um, I know Lynette Marrero, who does Speed Rack also, and one of my really good friends uh, is behind it. Um, Francine Cohen from Inside F&B um, works a lot with it. Um, it. There are ties to Lupec, which is Ladies United for the Preservation of Endangered Cocktails. It's a great name, right? <laughs> um, yeah, and so every year um, they send out a ballot to a large group of women to vote, and then four people are 
selected. And so I was selected alongside like one of my best friends, Kate Gerwin, who was this unbelievable bartender in North Dakota. So we were both like crying. My mom surprised me at the induction ceremony. My my dad was already there because we were presenting at Tales this year. So the, I was I was like, "Mom, you're ruining my eye makeup. I'm crying." So that's amazing. That yeah. is amazing. You know, and I've I've found that uh, a lot of my favorite bartenders here in the city are are women bartenders, and I like to think that maybe gender probably has nothing to do with it at all. But I know that you're also a uh, you've spoken uh, a bit on the history of female bartenders. What is that? What should we know about? women in the bartending profession i mean we could we could go back for ages um you know i think just the the interaction between alcohol and women has been has been so interesting since the beginning of time um because a lot of times the women were associated on the same level as alcohol like a commodity to buy you know when you used to go into bars back in the day when women weren't allowed there it's because it was a brothel so you could buy your whiskey and you could buy your woman and you could Mm -hmm. go on your merry way um, but it's extraordinary. Uh, I think one of my favorite little anecdotes is that um, the repeal pro- of prohibition couldn't would not be possible without a woman named Pauline Sabin, uh, and she was one of the first women to grace the cover of Time magazine. And a lot of people have no idea who she is. And she um, led an organization called the Women's Organization for National Prohibition Reform, um, and they were a million strong, while the the Women Christians Temperance Union was only about a hundred thousand strong. So it's unbelievable that the textbooks don't ever tell you this. But she and she was like from high, like high in society, New York City, like Upper East Side, Fifth Avenue. We're talking like money. And she was like, I want to I want booze back. <laughs> she's, she's so powerful. And she's made it happen. Yeah, made it happen. And so I think like in mo- if, listen, modern times, um, we, I was joking the other day with someone and someone said like I'm, that they're finding a hard time getting finding a female for their staff at their bar. And I was like, that's really funny. And they're like, why? And I started thinking about it. I go. Well, because a lot of the women are running all the bar programs here in New York City. It's Some, true, like, yeah. You have Aaron Reese over at Death & Co. We've got Jillian Vose at Dead Rabbit, Ivy at Leenda. Um, I mean, the list goes, like, Megan Dorman, obviously, with all of her ventures. And the list goes on and on. Um, it's pretty extraordinary that um, nowadays everybody wants and needs a female on their staff or two or three. And we're in such we're such a hot commodity that, you know, there aren't enough of us to go around. Because women are just running shit. Yeah. We can say that. Who runs the world? Girls. Girls run the world. That's some Beyonce stuff, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. And, I, you know, I wanted to talk also about more about your trip. We spoke about it earlier. You got in the car and took this extraordinary 11-week trip around the country. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> that is cool as hell. How, where, where did you go and what did you do and what, were, what did you find across the country when you went to visit some of uh, these great bars? Yeah, I, I went around the whole, pretty much the whole country. Obviously, there were about like 12 states I couldn't get to because I, didn't, I skipped the Northeast because I live up here and I go there all the time. But I hugged the East Coast through the Panhandle of Florida, up around, down through the South, through Texas, up and down the Southwest, up along the coast all the way, and back down through the Midwest, looped around the Great Lakes. Um, it's amazing. Drinking is so different all throughout the country. I knew that was going to... I knew that. Um, but some trends that I really saw, number one, craft beer is so big right now. I mean, if we're going to talk about any drinking trend, craft beer is the trend, uh, especially as you hug the East Coast, mm-hmm. getting to Virginia and down through like the Carolinas. Like, people are loyal. People are loyal to their local breweries, um, and they want craft beer. They don't want anything domestic. 
I think that's pretty extraordinary. Uh, you get down to like the more the hotter regions, like especially like Tampa. It's just like such a it's such a vodka town, light rum town. Um, what's interesting is that Texas has always been a state that has been like one of the highest consumers of tequila, and now um, most bars are saying that they're selling more old fashions than they are margaritas, which has never been the case before. Um, and I think that's really interesting, uh, considering where they've always been um, in relation to other markets. And then, um, I mean, it's when you get more towards like San Francisco and Portland, uh, you see a really big emphasis on on local in terms of everything that goes in the cocktail, not mm-hmm. just the spirits, but the you know the lemons, the limes, the produce, the any additives that go into it. Local. This was local from this food hub, from this market, from and that's there's such a stress on that. Um, but everybody likes to go to their bars yeah, <laughs> all around the country, even in Salt Lake City. Even in Salt Lake City. Yeah. Wow. Do Some they of the bring... best bars are there. It's great. Like, do you have to ID all of the wives? <laughs> like, yeah, Every a... single last one. No, the best part about Salt Lake City, Utah has a state law that everyone who works in the hospitality industry has to wear a name tag. So, <laughs> so you always know the name of your bartender because they have a name tag on. It's great. That's crazy. What is even the thought behind that? Uh, maybe they're just like super friendly. Maybe there's, <laughs> that's crazy. That is that is absolutely totally blows my mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would be awesome if we could have uh, things like fresh citrus from the market. Uh, that's something that I wish that we could have. And we're so like we can dream here in New York, can't we? <laughs> yeah, and and other cool ingredients. Like what what do, what would you? What's a trend that you saw in other places that you'd like to see? bigger here in new york or more prominent in new york whoa good question um you know uh, new york new york sort of has we're lucky we sort of have everything we have like yeah we do i like it we're like we're the cultural (laughs) hub because people we import bartenders from so many different markets we have people moving here from every type of city big and small so Mm -hmm. they're bringing their trends with them um you know something that you see a lot in europe um, you're seeing a lot in Europe that like we're we're we t- we tone down a lot here in um, in the states is that like in Europe they're all about the show they're all about these cocktails with like really big shows that come with it uh, whether it be like the garnishes or the way it's like brought to your table or something else and maybe sometimes the quality of the cocktail is not as as high but man they put on a show there and um, and it's a, a little bit kitschy but it's really fun and not as many places do that here in the states I think because a lot of people guests just want their drink and want mm-hmm. to go away but it would be kind of fun to see some more of those places like you know Aviary in Chicago is a great example that you know walks fine line with both they like fantastic high quality cocktails plus showmanship um, but there aren't many Aviary places is one of that. the most fun places to drink it's like playful and like how the hell do they do that and i may or may not have stolen a key to the office from the downstairs last time i was yeah. there it's in my it's in my uh, bag with me right now all right we're going to locksmith after this so making copies nice and you can definitely get a copy I yeah i remember that happening i went to a place in M- milan and it was one of the like most intricately created most beautiful cocktails in front of me and it tasted okay but like <laughs> it was mediocre it was mediocre yeah i've, I've been to some like uh, but it was cool to see that they were actually i mean in italy where like that they really are not like there's so many places that just don't care about cocktails or they're like just drinking mm-hmm. mojitos i don't know why mojitos like super popular in italy i mean because everybody likes a little bit of mint and lime in a glass you know that's true it's harder to drink that way but man it looks really cool <laughs> I know this. It's interesting. You say Italy um, low proofs coming back, which is really great. Amaro's really hot right now. The Aperol Spritz 
having this yeah. huge um, heyday at like brunches right now. Yeah, I think that's exciting personally because I, I love low proof drinking. Me too, because you can have a lot more of them. A lot more, and you can go. You can make smarter choices sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I love this new. Uh, I don't know if you've had it yet. Uh, it's called Contrato. There's yeah. Contrato bitter and aperitif. Yeah, Contrato is phenomenal. I think it's so good. Yeah, and similar in a way to Campari and Aperol, um, but uh, I think they're those products are just awesome. Yeah, it's. I think it's an exciting time for low proof. Um, a lot of people are turning towards it as. A, a different option, a newer option. And as bars, we can offer low-proof cocktails at a lower price point, which is really exciting. That's true. Yeah. So where, if we wanted to come visit you at the Seamstress or mm-hmm. see you speak or or compete, like how, how do we find you? <laughs> where in the world is PamelaWisnitzer.com? Yeah. Um, so you can find me at Seamstress. Um, that's up at 75th and 1st. Um, I tend to check in a lot on an app called On The Bar. So if you haven't downloaded that app, it's a great app to find bartenders in any city, um, in locally, you'll see who's checking in. So to keep tabs, you can follow people. Um, and then if anyone happens to be in Washington, D.C., um, December 12th, uh, there's been a wonderful curated series of talks called the Spirited Series. Uh, Derek Brown from Mockingbird Hill, um, formerly The Passenger and uh, Columbia Room, put together. And then I'm speaking on the 12th. It's the last one with Jackson Cannon from Boston. Um, Charles Jolie, who is the best bartender in the world, and um, it's going to be pretty extraordinary. So if you can come, it's going to be at the National Archives. Awesome. All right. The brilliant Pamela Wisnitzer, thank you so, so much. No, it's been such you. a pleasure to have you on the show. We're going to, for sure, uh, come visit you soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks so much uh, to also to today's producer. Uh, we have Jory Morales. You are the man. Thanks for, for putting this all together. And the engineer, as always, the multi-talented Jack Inslee. Uh, today's music break was provided by Rec Tech. And uh, today, the sponsor is Eat on North. Uh, Also, thanks uh, to you, listener, for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, tell your friends to subscribe to the show on iTunes and feel free to get in touch with us at heritageradionetwork.org. Next up, a short clip of Full Service Radio. Which video game universe seems like it would be the most delicious? Kirby. Okay. I didn't even have to think about that one. (laughs) Everything's named after food. I just... That that's it. That's the answer. <laughs> All right, fine. Fair enough. <laughs> Electronic musician Maxo talks about video games and jazz after a forty-five minute set on full service radio. Obviously, tons of jazz influence yeah, in the stuff so. you're doing and playing. Um, what's your earliest memory of falling in love with a particular album or artist? I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. I think one of the earliest experiences I had that really changed me was um, listening to Herbie Hancock's Headhunters, and that was pretty, like, life-changing. Which is, like, not so far removed from what you're doing, which is crazy. Not at all. (laughs) Right. um, I feel like all my music has just been in an effort to possibly emulate the feelings I got listening to that record for the first time. Hear the whole set and more on episode 103 of Full Service Radio, hosted by me, Jack Inslee. All episodes available on HeritageRadioNetwork.org and iTunes.